say the name Michael Kitsis. If you're in the financial services industry, that's all I need to do because you already know who he is. But if you're an entrepreneur, don't tune out. This interview is for you too, because even though Michael's an advisor at his core, he's an entrepreneur. He's a sought after speaker, content creator, and thought leader, and someone we all can learn from. In this episode, Michael takes us on his speaking journey of how he went from free to fee as a speaker. And even more interestingly, how his entire digital empire, side note, he has a top rated blog with over 250,000 unique visits per month and get this, a podcast with 6 million downloads. You will hear how it all literally got started with a single speech. I love that. But what impresses me the most about him is that he's just like you and me. So I hope this interview inspires you to dream and act bigger. And this is part one of a two-part series because I asked a lot of questions. Let's jump in. Hi, I'm Deirdre Van Mest, and you're listening to the Crazy Good Talks podcast. I created this podcast because I'm obsessed with helping financial professionals and entrepreneurs like you express yourself in a way that attracts and wins you more business. Plus, I want to help you make a huge impact on the lives of others. That's why each episode is packed with actionable strategies to help develop your speaking, storytelling, and content creation skills. Skills that allow you to effortlessly make emotional connections with your ideal clients. I'm so excited to take you on this journey because when you learn these skills, your influence and your impact will be limitless. Let's jump in to today's episode. So, Michael, you've been an advisor or advisor, as you call it, and I'm going to ask you to define that in a moment, since 2000. And from what I gathered in my research, you, like many advisors or advisors, didn't come out of school with a finance or even business degree. Um, and you didn't have like this major life-changing aha moment growing up that led you to this career. You landed here because you didn't want to go into theater, psychology, or medicine. I found that fascinating, by the way. And yet you are arguably one of the most, if not the most followed thought leader and sought after, sought after speakers in the financial services industry. And in fact, your blog is named um, the top industry blog over and over again. So I'm so happy you're here because I want to walk my listeners through how you've made this happen. You know, my listeners are financial professionals. They're entrepreneurs who would love to create the same types of results in their career that you've recreated, that you've created. So what was the first notable step in that journey where you thought, okay, I'm going to build a business that goes beyond delivering my service one-on-one -on -one to clients? When did it first go beyond? So, so I'd say pr probably about four or five years into my career. So as you said, I, I, I started back in 2000, I was like classic Lib New England liberal arts degree. Like we, we've taught you to think, prepared you for nothing in particular, but like go forth. Yes. Be productive adults. Uh, as you said, I was a psych major, theater minor, pre-med student who just decided I didn't want to do psychology, theater, medicine. So I landed in financial services somewhat randomly. I, I bounced around for a couple of years in the early years in, in insurance companies, independent broker dealers, into the RIA channel, just, just trying to find my, find my way. And about three years in, out of really just sheer dumb luck, 
Uh, I, I landed in a very fast growing independent REA, one of the early firms to the, uh, to the AUM bottle that they had started in the 90s. They were getting a little bit of momentum in the early 2000s when I showed up. Uh, my job was to come on board as their director of financial planning because they were in that stage where three founders who were really good at, at bringing in clients and growing the business. And so the reigning practice management advice then, and to some extent still, is if your founders are going to bring in business, you start hiring up internal financial planners and teams so that you can go get clients, hand them off to do the financial planning and service work, and then go get more clients. And so my job was to come in and build out their financial planning department, do all the plans, make sure they get done, make sure clients are going to get service as the handoffs come down the road. And that was my focus. And and so we went through this really rapid growth phase that was enabled by that, uh, you know, 2004. We were only barely over about a, a $200 million in our management and brought in 102 clients in one year. And I did all of the plans. Wow. So just grinding <laughs> super yeah. hard seven days a week for a year kind of thing. And, and then we got to the end of the year and, you know, clients got onboarded and the plans got delivered and they kind of you know, went into ongoing client support and maintenance mode. And then it was the next year and the next 50 to 100 clients come in and it all kind of started over again. And, and there was this thing that just started like, I don't know, scratching it, itching at me internally of like, we did all this great work for these hundred people. And it like, it just ended there. Mm, mm. Like there were some cool things that we did for clients that had really interesting, unique situations. And I know there are other people out there who are going to have some similar stuff that comes up. But no one's ever going to know about it. No one's going to see it. Uh, back then in 2004 in particular, the big thing was we were doing all this alternative minimum tax planning because uh, oh, yeah. uh, President Bush's tax law change in 2003 kind of knocked a bunch of upper middle income folks in the alternative minimum tax for the first time. And so there was this explosion of AMT planning that was happening for all of our clients. We're doing these cool strategies, find these ideas, and then we would do it for our 100 clients. And then that was it. And then we would move on to the next clients. And I just had this itch of like, I think we figured out some neat things. I'm pretty sure other people would benefit by learning from mm. these things as well. I just kind of have a drive to like share this with a few other people beyond the advisors in our firm that I was training as we were hiring and, and, and building out a planning team. And so that, that led to uh, doing a, a presentation for a local study group with my local financial planning association chapter. There were probably like seven or eight of us we were in a little study group, of just like what planning things are you doing for clients and collaborating with each other as, as association study groups often facilitate. Uh, and I said, like, I've been doing all this alternative minimum tax stuff. And someone had said, like, could you just like present all the stuff that you're doing to the group? And I, I never spoken before, I never given a presentation before. Really? I am not a, I am not a like stand up on the podium person. I'm a hardcore raging introvert who would just like to find the quietest place in the party, the most distant from the music and the noise. Uh, so like kind of terrifying, but it was sort of this balancing act of uh, being on, like being in front of the group is terrifying. Having things that I really want to share with other human beings is kind of making me want to do it anyway. So the share with human beings beat out the fear yes. of the podium since this I've was like there. seven people that I was kind of comfortable <laughs> with. I got to know them pretty well already it being the ongoing study group. And so, you know, did this AMT presentation for the group who was like, that was really cool. You should do that for our next chapter meeting. And then suddenly I was speaking for the whole chapter. And then, uh, the, you know, I'm, I'm in the, 
our, our firm is in the Baltimore, Washington area. So I was doing this for our local Maryland chapter, which was based in Baltimore. And then some members who uh, uh, were at the uh, Maryland chapter also were involved in the, in the Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia chapter, which, you know, 20 or 30 miles away and said, like, you should come and do it for the D.C. chapter as well. You already did it for the Baltimore chapter. Like, come do it for the D.C. chapter. And so then I went and did it with the D.C. chapter. And, and just that that's what started the ball rolling of what, you know, ultimately became a, a, a very active speaking career, you know, sl slow, slowed down a little bit on the road in, in pandemic environment. But for most of the 2010s, I was doing 70 plus events a year, just, you know, out every week, several times a week, most of the time, continuously speaking, all, all that, all that spawned from, I, I just had something to share and it bothered me too much that we were, nobody else was going to hear about the cool thing that we did. So I'm like, I, I just need to share this with someone. No, I, I love what you're saying, Michael. And this is, um, so at crazy good talks, we're all about supporting mission driven financial professionals and entrepreneurs. And that's the ultimate definition of a mission where it's something that just touches you so deeply. You can't not share it. And you're willing to bust through your own fears in order to do so. Okay. So here's, here's what I want to do. I, I love what you're saying. And I'm, I want to make a very specific point in a moment. Can you just give us like the three minute overview of where you are today with your business? And I'm going to, then I'm going to bring us back into the past. And there's a reason I'm doing this, but can you kind of tell us like, what are you involved in from speaking? Um, you got your blog, your podcast, if you want to include how many people, you know, read the blog, how many people, you know, listen to the podcast, like give us a little bit of a picture because I, I'll, I'll do my, I'll, I'll say what I want to say now, the fact that this all starts with one presentation. And I love that because that's what, that's what we teach is that it's just like, you just have to get out there, get out there that one time. Like that's the hardest thing. And people don't believe Michael, it can start with one presentation. They only see the end of what like a Michael Kitsis has created. Right. And they're like, oh my gosh, he's Superman. And he has this power that I don't have. And he had this thing. And here you are saying, no, like I was scared. I don't really like to, you know, I'm an introvert. I'd rather be, you know, in, in the background before we started, you told me you were in theater, but you were on the tech side of things. You were behind stage, but you were willing to do the thing. So can you just take us to the present and then we're going to go back to the past again? Okay. Well, I was going to say, cause like the, the, you know, the, the, the present, the, like the present puts, uh, I don't know. The president makes the the past seem very very far away for how how far it's come, right? You know, one of the one of the lessons of this discussion will probably be don't underestimate how much seventeen years of compounding can actually add up to because it's it's yes. it's it's really stunning and bizarre. Yeah. Uh, so I guess so some so metrics overall, and I guess we'll get more into this journey in 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 a few minutes. The 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 speaking ultimately turned into newsletter business. The newsletter turned into a, a, a blog. The blog and now is sort of the hub of what we ultimately do uh, uh, in our space and, and speaking and writing and some other stuff are kind of attached into the blog. So kitsis.com is is sort of the, the central platform around all of this. So kitsis.com essentially is a, a, a blog platform in the advisor community. We'll do anywhere from about 200 to 250,000 unique visitors that come to the blog every month, uh, wow. coming up on 50,000 active subscribers who get daily content from us. Uh, we do a weekly podcast episode that picks up typically about 20 to 25,000 downloads a piece. We're coming up on 6 million downloads after uh, five plus years of, of running the podcast. The, the core Kitsis team now has grown into a business of 22 uh, employees. It's also spawned a number of related businesses. So I have a, a company called XY Planning Network where we help advisors start, run, and grow 
uh, uh, fee for service financial planning firms where you're actually out there charging like uh, uh, subscription fees, retainer fees, and, and we sort of champion that model at, at XYPN. That's grown to a business with more than 100 team members. Uh, we founded AdvicePay, which is a technology company that facilitates payments for advisors that are doing fees, particularly non-investment uh, fees where you, you don't have an investment account to bill. Uh, that's now a team of more than 20 people. Uh, new planner recruiting is a half a dozen team members that help, as the name implies, do recruiting for new financial advisors. FP Pathfinder has five team members doing flowcharts and checklists for financial advisors. So cumulatively across all of this, uh, you know, we, we, we've grown a business over the past, particularly seven or eight years that I've really been focused on the, the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial scaling side. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've, we've grown a series of businesses with about 150 employees. So it's fantastic. You know, co- collect collectively across collectively across all of them. It's probably closing in on $20 million of revenue, uh, all of which that ultimately was spawned by going out, giving a speech about AMT to my study group, you know, yada, 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 17 years of compounding 150 members and 20 million in revenue. Yeah. I love it. It, 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 It's amazing. And, um, I, you know, obviously one of the things it took was a lot of drive and consistency, and I'm sure you had to revisit your why many, many times. Um, but I love that it started with a why, a strong why, a desire and a presentation, so let's talk about speaking for a moment. So you got out there, you did the study group thing, right? And then as happens when, 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 when you're good and people like the content, they're like, oh, can you speak at this? And can you speak at that? And can you speak at this? So I have a lot of listeners, financial professionals and entrepreneurs who are, who are wanting to move from the free to fee type of speaking. Um, that was my experience. You know, I spoke anywhere I could for about a year and a half, two years before I started getting paid. Sounds like you started out as a free or like, or no fee, we'll say speaker first. Um, how did you transition into the fee-based? And do you remember like when that, that inflection yeah. point came? Yeah. So it was, it was probably about probably three, I was probably two or three years for me. So speaking started in 2004, continued in 05. Oh, yeah. So I guess 2006 was the year that, that, uh, that I started started charging fees, and and frankly, the the evolution was was sort of super simple for what it is. So I had an AMT presentation. I went and started doing my AMT presentation around to uh, um, growing almost entirely word of mouth. Right, I lived I lived within the association system of the Financial Planning Association. I was a very active as a member and a volunteer. I had a lot of friends and connections. Word kind of got around, so like. They knew me because they knew me from volunteer works. Like, oh, kids has a presentation. He seems yeah. to communicate pretty well. Like, sure, let's have him in. I heard it was a pretty good thing. So, you know, the AMT presentation was the start. That was basically the only thing for probably the first year or so. And it was just entirely word of mouth, like one chapter to another chapter. Then eventually it was a chapter that wasn't local driving distance. And they were like, you know, we'll, 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 we'll pay you to like, we'll pay you to come out. Like you'll pay me like, well, yeah, we'll cover We'll cover your flight in your hotel. Like, oh, that kind of paid. Like, okay. Okay. I mean, I, at least and I got that. Any, <laughs> and anything got like, that. you know, I, I mean, I was, I was still in my, well, I would have been mid, mid twenties by then. So like someone's going to pay me to go to a new city and talk. Like, how cool is that? So totally. like, totally. sure, yes. sure. So I probably, I probably did five to 10 events in, in 2004. I did maybe another 10 to 15 events in 2005. By the time I was getting well into 
2005, I had actually done a, 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 second, ta a second presentation on some other tax planning strategies because uh, uh, the, the local chapter had said, like, your session last year was really popular. Like, we'd love to have you do another one because, you know, local associations usually very, very desperate to find reasonable speakers, mm -hmm. don't have a lot of choices. So they're like, can you do another thing? But like, we can't literally have you back to do your AMT thing because you, you did it last year. Right. So, so I made another it. presentation about one of the tax laws that had come out uh, then. I did that presentation. Uh, a couple of the, the chapters who'd had me out in the past said like, oh, we heard you have a new thing. Like, come, come back and do your new thing. So I went back and did the new thing. So by then I started taking the hint. So by 2006, I made my, I made my own thing proactively. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do another new presentation. So I had like the thing of 2004, the thing of 2005, I made a new one for 2006. By 2006, I had a couple of, a couple of chapters that came back. We're like, we'd love to have you back for a third time. Like we love you making a new thing every year. I was like, third time, like five, I'm going to still remember five, $500. Like was, I'm going to charge. Was that hard to say at the time? Oh, or? So yeah. here was the thing. It was brutally <laughs> hard to say. Like, uh -huh. could, well, I, honestly, I don't even think I said it. It is probably came as email. And I typed it. Cause if I of said course. it, I don't think I would have been able to say it in a straight face, but if I typed it and then took a breather and then like just hit send with my eyes closed, it would still go out and totally. And they would, totally. and they would get the quote. And I, and I remember actually that the transition moment when it happened. So I did the first event, I charged $500. After the event, I'm preparing the invoice and the invoice was $1,200. It was like 450 for the plane ticket, 250 bucks for the, for the hotel it was in a city with an expensive hotel uh, and the, and the 500 bucks that I charge. And I kind of remember having this moment of like, I was so afraid to charge the $500 fee and it's not even half the invoice. Yeah, like I know this is yeah. probably not what was making or breaking whether they could afford me. Right. Like, I yes. mean, there comes a point where it gets a little more unaffordable, unaffordable, but like this probably like this was way more in my head about mm -hmm. the, the fear of the fee than the other than than their actual ability to afford me as though I was going to price myself out by by having some some price requirement at all. Like if they had the budget to put someone on a plane or potentially more than one person on a plane, because usually there's more than one speaker on the agenda, like you're probably not breaking the bank for them with five hundred dollars. Some organizations and just like to draw a line in the sand. We don't pay anyone just for the right. sake of it. And there was a little of that that started cropping up. It was like y'all called me. Yeah. And don't you call me pricing for the third year in a row. So like, yeah, you can, look, here's your choice. I can come back for $500 or you, the chapter volunteer who's responsible for programming and doesn't have very much time on their hands can go find some other completely new speaker and hope that you find someone who's decent. Right. And I wasn't great. Then I, I've got at least a little bit better with 17 years of practice, but like I was okay. I could at least explain the things. My yeah. technical knowledge was very good. I was not a particularly polished speaker, but I knew my stuff and I yeah. was pretty decent at explaining stuff because frankly, I was practicing it by doing it with clients as well. Not, right. not, not speaker, just, but just you get used to explaining yes. things to your clients. So I, I really, it just came out like, look, I'm asking for like a small dollar amount. Like you can say yes to this because you, I'm, I'm a known quantity to you since you're asking me back for the third time. Or you can do a bunch of extra work to find someone else. And, you know, the truth, basically what it came down to is my 500 bucks was worth them not needing to do more work to find another speaker, right? Like that's, that's the truth of what it probably came down to initially. 
Well, and, and I think that-, that with pricing, don't you think though with, with, with money in general, it's mostly in our mindset. I mean, yes, there's certain fees that people aren't going to pay, but I think a lot of times the pricing issue is in our mind, whether it's a fee for service or it's a speaking or whatever it is, it usually is oh. our issue. Oh, it's almost entirely our issue. We're privy to all the history of like what we charge and what we haven't charged and how we charge certain other people something different and how some people have gotten it free, even though I want to charge this organization for the first time. Like there's all this stuff that goes on because we we know all the messiness that's been happening behind the scenes. All they know at the end of the day is like, cool speaker has been out a couple of times. Now he charged 500 bucks. So it's going to cost us 1200 instead of 700. We good with this? Yeah, great. Thanks. Okay. I'm going to go say yes. Yeah. Wait. That's it. I They're mean, not there, even there's thinking some about point it. where you're pricing out of organizations and that gets yes. more complex. So like that, that doesn't just scale to infinity, but for most of us, particularly getting started, like the first time you're charging a fee, like that's, that's not, that's not where it is. What, but I will say at least for me and not, not all speakers follow this path, but for me, what it came down to, like the moment I found pricing power was when I was getting asked back. Yes. Not when I was pricing the first time. When I got asked back and, and, you know, back then I was much more timid. It's like, it wasn't even the first time I got asked back. It was the second time I got asked back. Like the third time I was going right. out to speak for him. Like, okay, if you like me that much, how's not free? Like how's, how's charging some fee? Now I from there, that. then it got to build some, some momentum. So, you know, you, you know, you asked me to speak, it was 500 bucks. But when you asked me again, a year or two later, like now it's a thousand. Yeah. You already paid a hundred. So like another 500 bucks shouldn't be that big of a deal. And then when someone else calls who I've never worked with before, well, you know, I work with lots of organizations. My standard fee is $500 or a thousand dollars, whatever. I like literally, this is what other people are paying. And right. you know, you can call them, you'll find out like it really is what other people are, are, are paying. And then for the better part of 10 years of, of growing the career uh, on the speaking side was literally nothing more than Every year, I raised the fee by 250 to $500. So it was 500, and then it was 750, and then it was 1,000, and then it was 1,500, and then it was 2,000, and it was 2,500, and then it was 3,000. I think by 3,000, I moved it from three to four. Sure. Just felt like moving the increments a little more, went 3,000 to 4,000 to 5,000. Because I was every year, I would come up with a new session, one new thing. So at least if someone wanted me back, I had a new thing because they weren't going to ask me back to talk about the same thing. Right. So I would come back with some some new thing. I mean, I'm not going completely off the reservation. My expertise was nerdy tax and retirement, but some new topic tied to my core expertise and core competency. I would come back with some new thing. Every year was a little bit more expensive. If they asked me back, you know, you know, if you paid 1500 last year, you'll probably pay two this year. If you paid two last year, you'll pay 2,500. Like, you know, people tend to come along incrementally. And because that was my established fee that everybody else was paying when a new person came along, it's like, look, this is what everybody pays. Yeah. So it was, And it was- so they were, they were much more willing to pay it as well. And then just incrementing that over time, right. As, as we were saying at the beginning, we tend to look a lot at the end point and not like the, the years of incremental compounding growth along the way, but, but that was the journey. And so it was, you know, 500, 750, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000, 2,500, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 7,500, 10,000, 15,000. And now most of what we're doing is 15 to $20,000. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's great. And, and you know what, and, and a couple of things you said that I want to point out for my listeners. One is you talked about the associations and for sure, when you're starting out 
oh my gosh, our association's a great place to go. I mean, they're, they're actually still a great place to go even when you're not just starting out because that's where the corporate clients go. And, um, but associations, if you're scratching your head wondering, how do I get started? Like, how do I even start this thing? Um, dig in to your local associations because that's an easy place to, to get known quickly. They want the help. And if you're a decent speaker, you can really stand out. And then like Michael's experience, mine was the same. One chapter is going to talk to another chapter who will talk to another chapter. And then they'll ask you back next year. And then corporate clients are going to see you because they're who the association is for. Right. Yep. And then they're going to bring you in. And so associations are a great, a great place to start. Would absolutely echo that. Just associations are a fantastic place if you're if you're trying to build out a, a, a speaking career, just there's a lot of pieces that go with it. They, they most of them are volunteer driven, which means, frankly, like the the people who are, who are responsible for, pro, for programs are doing on a volunteer basis while they're doing a lot of other stuff. And so just if you can be an easy to work with speaker who just puts the stuff out there that you do and makes it straightforward for them, and you, you'll, you'll get a lot of you'll get a lot of yeses. Associations have regular meetings on ongoing basis, which means they're always looking for and hungry for content. And they usually have it more often, right? Like corporate world, we do an annual conference once a year. Right. So like you, you got, we got one swing at this and usually they don't even want to invite the same person back every time. So like you get at best, maybe a two to three year cycle. A lot of associations obviously depends on the industry, like quarterly meetings, monthly meetings. Some, some associations are even more active than monthly, depending on what industry you're in. So there's just a constant stream of events. They have a constant need for speakers, most of whom which are being selected by people who are on a volunteer basis with limited time and, and capacity to do evaluations. And so if you can show up, you know, package yourself reasonably and show up reasonably, you often can get your foot in the door, even as an inexperienced speaker. If you do a reasonable job, you got an opportunity to get asked back. If you can get asked back more than once, eventually you can say, I charge something and I'm a known quantity because I've been out a few times and you liked my stuff. And then it just begins to compound. And, and as you said, eventually it starts to open other doors. Corporate folks are often in, involved in associations and associations can often be a, a pathway to, to the corporate side, which ultimately from the speaking world is usually where bigger checks ultimately come from if you're trying to build and scale up literally a business off of speaking revenue. But associations are fantastic places to, uh, to build because there are just some, some unique dynamics about how associations with local meetings work that make it very conducive to getting opportunities and just getting a volume of opportunities in that bat. Sorry, particularly if you're into an industry, if you're an industry that has associations that have you know local chapters and a local structure, right? It was great building in the FPA system. They had almost a hundred chapters across right. the country. Right. It's, so it's there's right. just, you know, across the country, a lot of them are doing monthly meetings. There's more than a hundred chapters. Like there's like a thousand, literally a thousand event, local events happening throughout the year. So finding one and then two and then three and then four dozen of them to be speaking at was not that much of a stretch. I mean, just there's a lot of market opportunity there. No, absolutely. I love that. Okay. So we're going to wrap up this, um, this episode. We're going to continue with a part two and in part two, I want to do a deeper dive on, you talked about experience. So I do want to talk about how you prep, how you have gotten better. And I want to talk about thought leadership. How do you go from, you know, speaker or advisor, and we have to define advisor. We'll do that in the next episode, but advisor to, you know, to speaker, to thought leader, and what's the most powerful medium? What's been the most powerful medium for establishing yourself as a thought leader? Don't answer that now. Cause I want people to come back. Don't say it. He's about to say it. Don't say Ooh. it. 
for, for part two. Thank you for listening to the Crazy Good Talks podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered in this podcast represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Accelerated Performance, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.